Just before I lead us in a prayer, I would like to say how significant it is that we have somebody who's been grieving this year at the loss of a son reading with joy the Easter reading. Uh, Grief is not easy, but we have a faith which carries us through. And I do thank you, May, for agreeing to read today. Let us pray. As the women were grief-stricken and fearful as they went to the tomb, until the light came to the dark, into the darkness, and their doubt was turned to faith, we know their fear turned to trust, and their sorrow turned to deep joy. Living Lord, by the mystery of your grace, transform us this morning by your resurrection that we may become alive in our faith, assured, empowered, and devoted disciples. For in your name we pray. Amen. Well, there are varying accounts of the first Easter day in the Gospels, but according to Matthew, it's Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who discover a mystifying and seemingly unbelievable sight. They'd been there at the cross and they were devastated. Matthew says they had been there when Jesus was laid in the tomb. And now Matthew says they'd gone to look at the tomb, probably to go and be quiet and to pray, just to be close to Jesus' grave. They certainly weren't expecting what was to happen next. Their quiet and solemn moment in the garden was disrupted by an earthquake. And there was an earthquake when Jesus died too. And here we have another one on the day that he rose. Something of earth-shattering importance was happening in these moments. The Marys see the angels' bright and brilliant light and clothing and right before them an angel rolled back the stone from right in front of Jesus's tomb Jesus is risen he's alive I'd like to take the word alive A-L-I-V-E A Alleluia Alleluia means praise God It's the Greek form of the Hebrew hallelujah, which means praise be to Jehovah. And hallelujah is an expression of worship. It's a natural response to the resurrection. Look at verse 9 in our reading, Matthew 28. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And the word for worship is proskunine, usually reserved for the worship of a divine being. It means to fall down and to worship God. Jesus was no ordinary man. He was the son of God bringing salvation to the world. And at the beginning of his life, the wise men fell down and worshipped and wrapped him in swaddling cloths. And now at the beginning of his resurrected life, He leaves his cloths behind and is worshipped too. Their master becomes their Lord. 
And the women prostrate themselves. They worship him. And from that day forward, the Christian community's faith response to the resurrection has been to worship the Lord as we have been doing in this church today. For the resurrection draws forth from us our hallelujahs. It's the right thing for us to do. For he is risen. Alleluia. L. Look. Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. The two Marys must have been fearful. Imagine what was going through their minds when they uh, met with an empty tomb. Are we hallucinating? Was Jesus not dead after all? Well, no, he he did die. We we saw it conclusively. Well, had somebody stolen the body? No, because the guards would have made sure it stayed put. The last thing they wanted to do was have somebody, uh, had happened with somebody to steal the body. They would have produced it anyway if it was producible. They would have found it pretty soon afterwards to put a stop to all this Christian nonsense. They wanted to put an end to the Christian faith. So as they look, let's look at verse 5. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. On this Easter day, as well as singing your alleluias, I encourage you to look. Look into the tomb. Look at the evidence. Look for yourself. Don't rely on the looking of others. Look at the gospel accounts of the resurrection. They may be different and people say, well, even the accounts can't agree. Well, anybody giving a witness to anything often disagrees. For me, it adds authenticity. If you're trying to make something up, you'd at least get the facts right. Policemen will tell you when they interview people. (laughs) They will be... Same people, same event, they give you a different account. If it was a fabricated story, they would have harmonized all the facts. But there are other evidences too. Over 2,000 years on, and the body of Jesus has never been found. Most serious scholars wouldn't actually dispute that Jesus was crucified. It's recorded in all four Gospels, but also contemporary writers such as the Jewish historian Josephus, all talk of the resurrection. I was reading something that popped into my inbox the other day from Justin Briley uh, from Premier. He's the editor of Christianity magazine. He's written some helpful notes about evidence for the resurrection. And he quotes historian uh, Tom Wright saying, in the ancient world, the word crucifixion was almost like a swear word. It was so horrible and barbaric. And yet Christians made the cross a symbol of their movement from the very beginning. Without the death of Jesus, that cultural shift is impossible to explain. Why use uh, crucifixion as a symbol of your faith? And what about the empty tomb? Why invent a story that could be embarrassing? 
Justin writes these words, historians describe this phenomenon as the criterion of embarrassment. A recorded story is more likely to be true if it would have been embarrassing or inconvenient to those telling it. We are more likely to invent or exaggerate stories that make us look good. That's not here in the gospel accounts. Why would the early church invent a story anyway with women at the center of it? In those days, female testimony wasn't considered reliable. Far better to have had men discover the empty tomb. And what about people saying that they'd seen the risen Christ? Their experiences convinced their skeptics and persecutors even. Just think about Saul. He was out to get them. And yet, Jesus revealed himself to Paul, transformed his life. He saw the light. And in 1 Corinthians 15, in AD 55, we think it was written, just 55 uh, years into Jesus' uh, uh, time, Paul quotes a creed of the church, affirming the centrality of the resurrection. So there's little doubt over the claims of Jesus' followers. They were written down very, very early on. They believed, you could disagree with them, but they believed they'd seen the risen Savior. So Paul said to the Corinthians, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. They believed it. What about us? Do we look for those with a living faith? Do they look as though their faith is useless? Or is there something in their lives that is true and authentic? For the Jesus they follow is risen and is alive with them and sustains their faith. Just think how the Christian church grew. There had been other martyred messianic figures around, but their followers didn't make any kind of claim that their Messiah had risen. It was an un-Jewish thing to say anyway. Why would Jesus' disciples make up something that wasn't very Jewish? They talked about the resurrection at the last day, not in this way. And why, against the odds, did the church grow? Why does Christianity continue to spread today? Okay, it may not be spreading here in our country. You look globally. The Christian faith is in good heart. Don't just accept what Dawkins and others in this world say. Look into it yourself. Open your eyes. Look into the tomb. A-L-I. Me and you. I need to decide what I think about the resurrection. I can't just ignore it. Jesus demands a response from me and you. We can decide it's not true. But if it is true, it changes everything. And you and I need to do something about it. Either to worship and to follow Jesus or to reject it and ignore it. Matthew 28, uh, verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then they had to make a decision. 
And there's an invitation here to come and see for ourselves. A challenge to look, but also to make a decision. In the early 1920s, uh, Nikolai Bukharin uh, was sent from Moscow to Kiev. He was to address an anti-God rally. For an hour, he abused and ridiculed the Christian faith until it seemed as if the whole structure of belief was in ruins. Questions were invited after he'd spoken, and a priest of the Orthodox Church rose and asked if he could speak. And he faced the people gathered, and he gave them an ancient Easter greeting. Christ is risen, he said. And instantly the whole vast assembly rose to its feet, and the reply came back like the crash of breakers against a cliff. He is risen Indeed, there was a response. Even though people had heard all kinds of things, they knew in their hearts what was true. What about you? Have you looked at the evidence? Have you made a decision? Have you asked the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to you, whatever that truth may be, that you'll be given, if it is true, an assurance of the risen Christ And are you prepared to make your stand for Christ in these faithless days? To open your heart to the God who loves you so much and longs for you to share the Easter joy and for life-changing power to flood into your soul. A-L-I-V. Victory. The theologian and scholar Leon Morris wrote these words. The cross is is the victory, the resurrection is the triumph. The resurrection is the public display of the victory, the triumph of the crucified one. It's a victory over sin and death. And some of us struggle in our lives with what we've done in the past, with the way we live now, with some of the challenges we face, with grief, all sorts of things. But here is a story of victory. The prize is eternal life, which begins now and goes on into eternity. A new life punctuated by death. We die and we rise with Christ to be with him forever. Matthew 28, verse 2. There was a violent earthquake For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love that bit of the story. He sat on the stone that had been rolled away. The angels sat on that which once tried to imprison Jesus. The angel rolls away that which symbolized the fear enemy of death. He sits on the power of sin, making way for this new life. And when Jesus rose again, the victory had been won. Yet so many failed to hear the truth of that message. It was on Sunday evening, the 18th of June, 1815, just a few kilometers south of Brussels in Belgium. The Battle of Waterloo was over because the British had won. 
and Wellington needed to send the news of the victory to London. And his men set up a series of line-of-sight communication stations, and a coded message was sent. But only the first part of the message got through. Halfway through sending the message, the fog set in, and the signalers could not see each other. And the English received the terrible news, Wellington defeated. However, later the fog lifted, and the whole message got through. Wellington defeated Napoleon at Waterloo. I wonder whether sometimes we just don't get the whole message. We get part of the message of the gospel, but we don't get the whole joy of it. We actually see some of the truth, but we don't allow the Holy Spirit of the living Jesus to transform our lives, taking us from defeat to victory. I believe the battle has been won, and we need to hear just what that means for us. It means that we can actually overcome the impossible. It means that the power of love can make a difference. It means we can turn away from sin and temptation in our lives and live a holy life. It means that we can stand against persecution and we can be the best version of ourselves that we could possibly imagine that God wants for us. John Piper put it this way, the best news of the Christian gospel is that the supremely glorious creator of the universe has acted in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to move every obstacle between us and himself so that we may find everlasting joy in seeing and savoring his infinite beauty. The obstacles can be removed. That's the victory. A-L-I-V-E. Hallelujah. Look, it's for me. I. Victory. It's for everyone. That's my final letter. We're getting to the end of the sermon, you can tell. Matthew 28, 7 to 8. <laughs> then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him now that I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples because it wasn't just for them, it was for everybody. Such news can't be kept to ourselves. Jesus in verse 10, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus told the disciples to tell others. And I believe he's saying the same to us today. If we believe this, if we sing our praises today, if we've looked and we've made a decision, we need actually not only to live the Christian life, but share it with others. We mustn't let our fear of witnessing in this world stop us, but allow Jesus to fill us with contagious joy in believing. Now, some of you know about Twitter and social media, and you'll know about hashtags. Now, there's a hashtag before the word alive 
on your service order and up on the screen. And basically, a hashtag is simply a way of categorizing tweets. It's the little kind of crossy type thing just in front of the word alive. And basically, a hashtag is a way of categorizing tweets uh, so that they may show up more easily when people search for them and as they link common topics and conversations. And we believe they were first used in early 2009 when a malfunctioning plane luckily landed in the Hudson River. And a, a Twitter user wrote a post that had hashtag, which in America is often used for number, hashtag flight 1549 when he posted. And others did the same, hashtag flight 1549 in their tweets. And gradually they were able to collect together the messages all about that uh, amazing landing in the Hudson River. The hashtag went viral. How I wish Christians would get ourselves organized in such a way that the Easter message goes viral. You can use a hashtag alive, by the way, in your tweets today, and that might help. But I'm talking just about the way we communicate. If we've experienced the truth, it's our responsibility to share it. That's what happened when a few disciples told of their faith, and it went global. And we need Christians to have confidence today. If you believe in the resurrection, communicate it. Don't Bible bash people. Share it with joy. Lee Strobel wrote, Jesus Christ did not come into this world to make bad people good. He came into this world to make dead people live. You, my friends, who believe in Jesus are alive in Christ. Live. Be alive. Radiate the gospel. For life in all its fullness is promised to us, despite the difficulties. There was so much do me and not be afraid in this passage, and Jesus meant it. When the worst happens, do not be afraid, for Jesus is hashtag alive. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Let's sing together. See what a morning.